Brother Sam do the scripture reading today, because um, this is why. But yeah, <laughs> but thank you. All right, everyone, we are in Acts chapter 3. So if you could open up your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. It will be on the screen behind me as well. So Acts chapter 3, going from verse 1 all the way to verse 26, so the whole chapter. All right, I read from Scripture. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is, in th- that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ing- ignorance, as, you did, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenants that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. 
All right, praise the Lord, you guys. Um, so we're going to get through this today. Uh, we're kind of in a season where things that are usually not happening happened. Um, but uh, about a, a month ago, we had a retreat. Uh, it got canceled on us. That has never happened before. And I lost my voice on Sunday morning. Or actually, it began yesterday. Woke up this morning. It was still gone. And I believe that only happened to me once ever, the entirety of this church ministry. So kind of an unusual season we're in, but, uh, but God is still good. He is still here. But let me say a word of prayer. Father God, you are so good. And Father, we are here with you. And Lord, uh, please, Lord, sustain my voice. Uh, even to just say uh, what I'm able to say uh, from your word. And Father, open our hearts for us to receive and to hear the glorious, powerful truths of the name of Jesus and what we have in this name. And so, Lord God, please uh, just speak. Uh, we thank you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we are finally in chapter 3 in Acts. And by now, the Spirit has already been poured out. The last days have already been ushered in. The church has been born, and the new Jesus community is now meeting daily. So last week, we saw what this beautiful community looked like. They were devoted to the word, devoted to the worship, to the fellowship, and to the witness. So this was the ideal church right out of the gates. Their love was strong. Their fellowship was sweet. Their witness was bright, and God's presence was everywhere. It saturated their community. And so basically, what is this? This is a spiritual honeymoon. And like so many of us, when we first came to faith in Christ, God seemed so close, amen? I mean, it was a beautiful season when you first came to faith. Prayers seemed to get answered so quickly. If you need answers to prayer, go tell a baby Christian. <laughs> if they pray for you, it might get answered very quickly. The love among believers seemed so real. And all of it was, right? All of that was real. But everything seemed so easy and effortless. But I'm here to bring some news. That is not where God wants us to stay. And that's because the strength and maturity of a marriage never comes during the heights of a honeymoon. <laughs> but rather it comes from the depths of struggle in the real world and overcoming them with God. That's where the maturity and depth of a marriage comes from. And so when you face struggle in your walk with God after a brief spiritual honeymoon, that is God's grace upon your life. Don't be discouraged by that. That is a necessary step that God is leading you through. And there's going to be multiple cycles of that. So you may be in that step right now where, gosh, it was so easy a few months ago or last year. Things are not so easy now. Well, that is God's grace and love upon your life. He is doing a deeper work. And so now in Acts 3, this is exactly what we see God doing for the church starting in this chapter. But they entered a brief honeymoon period, again, beautifully painted for us in Acts 2, 41 through 47. We saw that last week. And now starting in chapter three, persecution came knocking on their door. Persecution. And Luke, the author of Acts, skillfully shows this growing persecution by telling, it's very interesting, the way he wrote the next three chapters, including chapter two, actually, the four chapters, two through five, but he skillfully shows this growing persecution by telling a sequence of similar events happening in chapter 2 
And then they happen again in chapter three through four. And then they happen again in chapter five. So they're not the exact same events, but they're similar. So each section is telling a new sequence of events moving the story forward, but they are similar to the sequence of events that came before. It's very interesting the way Luke does this. So what do I mean? Well, in chapter two, there's a miraculous work of the Spirit, amen? The Spirit was poured out. That led to the preaching of the gospel in the temple. That led to many converts. And then apostles continued doing miraculous signs and wonders. Believers have favor with the people. And then there was a summary of the early church community. Okay, that was chapter two. Well, now in chapter three and four, there's a miraculous work of the Spirit that leads to the preaching of the gospel in the temple. There are gonna be many converts. The apostles continue doing miraculous signs and wonders. The church has favor with the people. And then there's a summary of the early church community. It's almost like a repeat of chapter two in chapters three and four. And yet these are new events. It's moving the story forward. And then in chapter five, similarly, there's a summary of the early church community that comes first. Then there's another miraculous work of the spirit that leads to the preaching of the gospel in the temple. There are many more converts. Apostles continue to do signs and wonders. The church has favor with all the people. So do you see that? It's just a repeat uh, again and again. So in the first few chapters of Luke, or Acts, I should say, Luke is clearly telling a sequence of similar events on purpose. So why is Luke doing this? Well, he's doing it to make the key activities of God in the early church absolutely clear. He doesn't want to just talk about it in one chapter and let's move on. Let's get to Paul and his conversion. No, he wants to make it clear what was God doing in the early church that laid the foundation for this worldwide movement. And not only that, but he's showing the reader that there was a pattern to God's work in the early church. It, just, it wasn't random. But there was a pattern that seemed to happen again and again and again. And dare I say, maybe a pattern that we should look at? Now, now, in the book of Acts, not everything is prescriptive. That means commanded for us to do. A lot of it is descriptive. It's just describing what happened. But when Luke is emphasizing something that much, it's being repeated again and again, maybe there's some prescription there. Maybe there are some commands we should follow. So Luke summarizes, summarizes the events in chapter 2. Then he summarizes similar events and expands on them in chapters 3 and 4. And then he summarizes similar events and expands again in chapter five. And we'll see that in the weeks ahead. But there's something else in this repeated summary of events and expansion that I haven't mentioned yet. And what is this extra thing that Luke mentioned? Persecution. There's persecution, it's growing. So just one more time, let me just mention. In chapter two, the gospel is preached Many converts are made. Apostles continue to work signs and wonders. And then, no persecution. It's the honeymoon phase. Nothing happened to them. It's just a glorious beginning to the church. But then, in chapters 3 and 4, it all changes. Similarly, the gospel is preached. Many converts are made. The apostles continue works, uh, doing the works of signs and wonders. And then... The Jewish priests and Sadducees persecuted the apostles. They rounded them up and then they threatened them and warned them, do not speak the name of Jesus. Let him go. Then in chapter five, the persecution got worse. 
again, the gospel is preached. Many converts are made. The apostles continue the work of signs and wonders. And then persecution. It was even worse. But now the high priest, he got involved, okay? The top dog. The high priest, the Sadducees, rounded up the apostles, arrested them, put them on trial, questioned them, beat them. Some of them even wanted to kill them. And then Gamaliel, a very powerful Pharisee, stepped in and said, no, 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 wait, wait. Just let him go. This might be a work of God. And so they got released after being warned. Do not preach in the name of Jesus. So do you see this? Similar sequences are being repeated, and yet Luke skillfully shows, but there's something changing. Persecution is growing. And like I said in the beginning, this is God's work of grace and love. Because he wanted the church to go deeper. He wanted their convictions and commitments to be more solid. He wanted to show his power in greater and greater ways. And so oftentimes as well, you know, we have a honeymoon phase. We love the Lord. We're having a great time. And then boom, what happened? Right? Why did I get fired from my job? I remember some brother telling me that. You know, Roy, I came to faith in Christ. Things were great, but I kind of regret it. Because the moment I committed myself to Christ, all these terrible things began to happen. Well, it was God's grace at work. And I believe he's doing well now. But this was the growing persecution that the early church faced. The new Jesus community that was proclaiming salvation in Jesus' name was now a direct threat to the existing powers in Jerusalem and eventually to the entire Roman Empire. They were becoming a threat to the powers. And it was all because of the name of Jesus. Amen? So in chapter 3, this is what we are seeing. But Peter highlights the name of Jesus. Or I should say Luke highlights it. And then Peter highlights it again in his sermon. But why? Why is the name of Jesus such a threat? Especially when Jesus wasn't there anymore physically. Why? Why is a name such a threat to people? Well, it depends on whose name it is, right? <laughs> Somebody like me, maybe like you, the name doesn't really threaten anybody. But if the name belongs to someone in a high position, then that name represents several different things. So for example, a name represents the person's character, who the person is, what they've done, what they stand for. It represents that person, the character, it also represents that person's power and authority. The name alone can open doors. A person's name, if they're powerful enough, can make people act a certain way. It can produce certain results. So there's a weightiness to a name like that. Have you guys ever heard people say, you know, uh, I dropped that name. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you might be talking to somebody and then you're just waiting for that moment and you drop a name. Where did that phrase come from? Well, names can be heavy, right? You drop it. It makes a boom. It can be heavy. Why? Because, like I just said, a name can carry the, the, the character of the person and even the authority and power of that person. All of that is carried in the name. And so when you drop a name of somebody in a high position, it makes an impact. It causes people to react. You know, I remember uh, talking to somebody recently I don't remember all the details, but this person told me that he knew somebody who had a child who was very ill, 
and the child uh, had to go to the hospital. So they took the child to the hospital, but they knew personally, I think the, the top director of that department that treated the condition the child had, right? The top director, the doctor, they knew him, right? They went to the same church. So when they got to the hospital, they dropped the doctor's name. And guess what? Doors opened immediately. They didn't have to wait in lines. Within minutes, the child was being examined, right? So we know that. You drop a name and boom, there's an effect. So when you look at Acts chapter 3, this is what's going on. But Jesus' name is repeatedly mentioned and Peter and John were dropping his name. They were dropping Jesus' name. And this is the highest name above all names. So it comes with the highest authority and the highest power. It is the name of Jesus. Okay, this is what we see. And in fact, this name was so powerful, it healed a crippled man, it saved a crowd of people, and the Jewish leaders were threatened. They were threatened by it. You know, I heard one of the first things that Lenin in communist Russia, Mao in communist China, and Kim Il-sung in communist North Korea did when they came into power. You know what they did? They immediately shut down churches. They shut down all the churches. Why? Because they didn't want people to be under another name. These dictators were threatened by the name of Jesus. Okay, the authority that that name had over a group of people. So they shut down all the churches. And so this is what we see in the book of Acts. But even in the darkened minds of these leaders, they still understood, even though they didn't believe, they still understood that the name of Jesus has authority. It has power. It influences people. A power that they had no control over. And brothers and sisters, I just want to make this clear with my froggy voice, okay? I know it's kind of like chopping through wood with butter knife, right? <laughs> it's a little hard for me too. We'll keep it a little shorter today. But brothers and sisters, you must understand this name is upon you as a believer. If my voice was good, I would be yelling right now. <laughs> it's upon you. You carry this name everywhere you go. And you two can drop this name, like Peter and John. I don't say that irreverently. I mean, we, we, we speak it, right? We share it. I don't want to make it sound irreverent. But you two have this name. And so everywhere you go, you carry the same name of Jesus with the highest authority, the highest power. And for those who reject Christ, they are threatened by it. And for those who eventually receive Christ, they are healed, forgiven, saved by it. This is what we see. So in our passage, we see the healing in Jesus' name. We see the message on Jesus' name. And finally, the response to Jesus' name. It's all in chapter 3. And today, we might only just get through the first one. We'll see. But the healing in Jesus' name. The name of Jesus has power and authority to heal. So look at Acts 3, 1 through 6. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Ninth hour just means 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And it's very interesting that even after Pentecost, the, ch uh, the church's birth, even after the church's birth, these early Christians still went to the Jewish temple to pray. Kind of interesting. I thought it was interesting. But it kind of shows this continuity between true Judaism and this new Christian community. There's a continuity. It also shows that the new Christian faith was not isolated. 
Okay, it was not a faith where like, okay, we're all following Jesus now. Let's go get that plot of land, build a big fence around it, and we're just going to love Jesus just by ourselves. No. It was not isolating, but rather it was expanding. It was expanding into all the parts of the city, into all aspects of the culture, even the Judaism of their day. So these Christians, followers of Christ, were going to the Jewish temple to pray. But they were praying to Christ, right, to their Lord. But they were there in the Jewish temple. And so we have the same call. We have the same call. Our faith is not an isolated faith. It is an expanding faith. You take it into all aspects of your life, everywhere, anywhere. We have the same call. So here's Peter and John. They're going up to the Jewish temple to pray. And then it says, verse 2, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Okay, we don't need to get into architecture right now, but the beautiful gate is just right between the court of Gentiles heading into the court of women. Okay, the beautiful gate. Good place to be a beggar. A lot of traffic. So here he is asking for alms. Alms is basically give me money, right? Give me, give me something to live on. Uh, very common in ancient times to see beggars doing this everywhere. <clears throat> People who are unable to work, like this crippled man, had to beg, beg to live, right? Okay, <clears throat> my goodness, my voice is starting to fade fast. Okay, <laughs> okay verse 3 through 5. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So here's a crippled man begging for money. And we learn in the next chapter that he was more than 40 years old. So he's been doing this for a very, very long time. Decades. And so just put yourself in the shoes of this beggar. Okay, well, what are you living for? What's your hope in life? Well, I would imagine his hope was maybe to just see the pity of a stranger. Every day, maybe a stranger would have pity on me. Maybe his hope was just dumb luck. You know, I don't know if he was a believer in the one true God, but maybe I'll get lucky today. That's his hope. Or even as a beggar, maybe his hope was in just getting a few shiny silver coins or gold coins dropped into his lap. So here he is, right? He's a living human being. He has a soul. He has hopes. He's there every day looking for something. He has a hope. Maybe it's in money, but it was not in the name of Jesus. He must have heard that name living in Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus was talked about everywhere. But for whatever reason, he didn't place his hope and trust in that name. And so here's the man that Peter and John looked directly at. And this is what Peter said, verse 6. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And in that moment, Peter immediately turned his hope away from what could never save him or heal him. He said, I have no silver or gold. Now, that was true. He didn't carry money, or, you know. These apostles lived a very simple life. He probably didn't have any money on him. But more importantly, he turned his hope away from what could not save, what could not deliver, to now to the greatest thing he could ever receive. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, walk. Again, I wish I could just shout it, right? Walk. 
And he did. And before we move on to that miracle, I want to make a brief point here. But how many believers today need to hear what Peter said to that beggar? I have no silver or gold. In other words, Peter was being honest. He had no money on him. But he was saying something more than that. He was saying silver and gold is not what you need most. It will not heal you. It will not save you. It doesn't have the power to give you what you need most. Christians living in America, wealthier than every other person on the planet. Do you know that? Living in America, your standard of living, your average income is in the top one, 1%. It is the highest. You know, some Christians talk about this wealth transfer that's going to happen. And they go, yeah, maybe there's going to be money coming my way in the end times. And you know what? The wealth transfer is most likely going to happen away from here because the wealth is already here. It's going to go from here to other places if there is a wealth transfer. But Peter was saying, that is not your hope. I don't want to make too big of a point about this. It was just a passing comment. But that is not your hope. So to the beggar, he says silver and gold. But to believers today, he might be saying, your growing retirement fund, your strong stock portfolio, your rising equity in your home, bigger and bigger promotions at work, that is not your hope. Okay, that is not what you need most. It will not heal you. It will not save you. It will not deliver you from anything. And yet how many hours do believers, okay, people who have the name of Jesus upon them, spend online looking at the market, stressing over the economy, stressing over making more money at work? How can I just get a little bit more? And don't get me wrong, people do struggle, even in the wealthiest country on the planet. We do struggle, so I'm not making light of that. But there's this kind of anxious energy, hoping, putting your hope in the markets, in the economy, to give you what you want. That is not your source of hope. I have no silver or gold, okay? I'm turning my focus away from that. So God knows our bills. He knows you need finances to provide for basic needs, to support your families. He knows you need a place to live, something to wear, food to eat, resources for your kids. Jesus said those very words, Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the pagans, seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He already knows. When's the last time you looked at the name of Jesus? You know, Jesus, you will provide. I have this anxiety. I have this anxious energy. You will provide. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will give you all these things. He will give you all these things. So God wants us to trust him to have a relationship with money that is not anxious. It is marked by a non-anxious wisdom. Why do I say non-anxious? Because you have this trust. You have a trust in the name of Jesus. Why is it wisdom? It's wisdom because you're led by him. You're led by his word. We should have this kind of relationship with money that is non-anxious wisdom. But how many believers forget, including me? And yet, like I said, we have the name of Jesus. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. There's that name again. That's exactly what happened to this beggar. God supplied all of his needs according to his riches in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.
So Peter said, what do I have? What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So now look at verse 7 through 10. And Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder, amazement at what had happened to him. You know what? I'm going to have to wrap this up soon. My voice is really going. (laughs) Okay. So biblical healing will have these characteristics. Let me just mention, it will be God's sovereign will. Okay, Peter made it very clear later on, a few verses down, it was not my power. It was not my choice. It was God's sovereign choice to heal you today. Okay, we don't dictate who gets healed, when, how. It is God's choice. Number two, it will glorify Christ. And if it, if it is truly a healing from God, it will glorify Christ. And we're gonna see that next week, how it all drove This healing drove everything to the proclamation of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Number three, it was instantaneous, instantaneous. Immediately, his ankles, his feet were strengthened. Okay, he didn't have to come back for round two, round three. It was instantaneous. Number four, it was complete. Okay, later that day, he's like, oh, I feel pain again. It was complete. It was total. Now, I'm not saying every healing from God must be exactly like this because there are cases when Jesus himself put mud on someone's eyes, right? How do you see? Oh, I see people walking around like trees. Okay, let me do it again. How do you see? Now I see more clearly, right? So even Jesus did multiple steps at times, but usually this is what you see. It is God's sovereign choice. It will glorify Christ. It is instantaneous. It is complete. But why though? Why this miracle? I mean, God loved this beggar, of course. God loved him. God will heal out of his sovereign goodness and love. But there was more going on, right? There's more going on here. Well, just real quick. One thing it did was it further authenticated the apostles. It proved that they truly have the message of God. They truly are from God. It authenticated them. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you, Paul is saying, with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So clearly, this is one of the authenticating works of a true apostle. They did miracles, signs and wonders. Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So do you see that? Signs and wonders, they are a witness to the people who do these miracles, right? So that is one purpose. It showed without a doubt to all these religious leaders, all these persecutors, all these unbelieving crowds that Peter was a true apostle, John was a true apostle. They had the true message from God. But does that mean then when they died, these signs and wonders are now gone? Okay, is it now gone? And again, I I can't go too in depth in this. Gosh, you know my voice. But there are good biblical reasons. I'm gonna have to keep it brief. 
for thinking that signs and wonders were not unique to the apostles, which is what a lot of cessationists today say. I talked about them a few weeks ago. They're dear brothers and sisters. They are in the body of Christ with us. You know, I have a lot of good friends who are cessationists, but that's what they say. It was just to authenticate the apostles. When they died, it's all done. No more signs and wonders. But there are good biblical reasons to believe differently. They're not unique to only the apostles. John Piper, okay, a lot of cessationists love him. They respect him. John Piper himself wrote an article, Signs and Wonders Then and Now. Look it up. But he mentioned four, at least four, you know, I, I think there could be more. But he said there are at least four reasons from the Bible why they weren't just for the apostles. Let me just mention them briefly. In the book of Acts, Stephen, who was not an apostle, did great signs and wonders among the people. Later, Philip, also not an apostle, did great signs and wonders. We're going to see that. Acts 6, Acts 8. Number two, Paul writes to all the churches of Galatia, and we heard this today during our call to worship. He said to the Galatians, does he who is applying the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. And that word there in the Greek, supplying the spirit, it is an ongoing, continuous supply of the spirit. Not just when Paul was there, not just when an apostle visited, an ongoing supply of the spirit. And then it says here, supplying the spirit to you. Okay, we can't get into the details right now. But that strongly implies the miracles weren't done by Paul or an apostle. It was done by the Galatian believers there. An ongoing supply of the Spirit to you guys. Working miracles, okay? Number three. Um, you know what? I'm going to have to get back to you guys. I don't have number three. Okay, number four. Finally, <laughs> there, there is a number three. Finally, 1 Corinthians 12, 9. It says that among the spiritual gifts given to the members of the church at Corinth, there were gifts of what? Healing, workings of miracles. It was just a spiritual gift to the body of Christ. And there was no distinction made. Oh, just the apostles get them. And when they die, they're all done. No, it was just distributed according to the spirit by his sovereign will. So these are a few reasons. There's more. But again, I, I, you know, I want to point you back to Piper's article on that. And he believes that, yeah, they didn't pass away with the apostles. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I love, uh, he's one of my heroes. I, I, I would love to get to a point of even like remotely preaching like him. Uh, cessationists, by the way, love him as well. They even had a whole conference on his life and his teachings. Uh, they really love him. But, but listen to what Lloyd-Jones said. He was a British pre preacher in the mid-1900s. It is perfectly clear that in the New Testament times, the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs, wonders, and miracles of various characters and descriptions. Was it only meant to be true of the early church? And then he answers that question. The scriptures never anywhere say that these things were only temporary. Never! Exclamation point. There's no such statement anywhere. You know, Lloyd-Jones preached the word of God faithfully for 40 years, 30, 40 years. He's like, I've never seen it. 
I've never come across a single passage in the Bible saying that these things are going to end when the apostles died or when the Bible was finished. He's like, nowhere have I seen that. So, again, I'm not saying you must see it this way as well, but just wrestle with it if this is not your view. But I believe that when the apostles did this, this miracle of healing this beggar, it authenticated who they were. They were true apostles, but it wasn't just them. So then, so then what else did this miracle do? It authenticated the message that Peter was about to preach, the same message we have. So why wouldn't God authenticate the message that we preach as well at certain points? Again, it's sovereign. It's, it's his choice. We don't dictate but especially when we are breaking into frontier ground, when we are entering new lands, reaching new people groups. You see that in the book of Acts. In, in chapter 3 it happened. In chapter 9 it happened. Later in chapter 20-something, 20 21, I think, it happened again. But every time they broke into new ground, it happened. There was a miracle healing to authenticate the message. To authenticate the message. Craig Keener, great New Testament Bible scholar, he said, throughout Acts, Signs and miracles are the most abundant means of drawing attention to the gospel. That's how people paid attention and received the gospel. Now again, I'm not saying that this is prescriptive. We must also do the same. We're commanded to. No, it is descriptive. But it makes you think though, this is how it spread. This is how the gospel changed the world, amen? And next Sunday, we're gonna begin to look at the actual message of Jesus' name the message of Jesus' name. So let's pray. Let's come before the Lord. Father God, uh, we thank you. Um, Lord God, even through this barely audible, raspy voice, I pray that your word actually rang clear. Even if my voice didn't. Father God, we thank you. We love you. Lord God, and there is so much, so much that you want to show us. Lord God, you are an awesome God. You are a wonder-working God. And you have poured out your spirit. You have put the name of Christ upon us. You have given us the gospel message. Lord, what really is holding us back? Lord, let us be witnesses, truly, like the apostle Peter and John. Let us truly, Father God, be bold in our witness. And you will authenticate. You will back your message. We are nobodies. But Lord God, you are somebody. You are great, the greatest. So Lord God, please, Lord God, help us to understand these things and to walk in them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> okay, let's come before the Lord. And as we do every Sunday, let's just... Spend a moment responding to God's word.